This is Jasper Sloan Yip, and you're listening to Strange Commentary, the audio liner notes to my record, Strange Calm. This is episode five, Oleander. So I need to talk about COVID, even though I don't want to, but it had a very significant impact on this record, and it would be remiss of me to leave it out. So here it is. This record was recorded at the noise floor, which is on Gabriola Island. Gabriola is, uh, I don't know, three hours away from Vancouver. You take a long boat, and then you take a short boat, and then you're there. And it was the first time we'd ever done a destination recording session. And it was awesome. The studio's run by two really wonderful people named Jordan and Terry. And I think we spent eight or nine days there. Now, we were scheduled to start this record on March 13th. It's Friday. Friday the 13th. I just, wow, I just realized that. And um, I, I think, if I remember correctly, Vancouver shut down on the 14th. So the day after we did. The day after we arrived. And at first, we were... I, I mean, I hate to admit it, but I was kind of excited by the idea. You know, I had just spent all of this time writing these songs about, you know, the end of the world and climate dread and blah, blah, blah. And the day we arrive at this remote recording studio, everything starts to shut down. It just seemed too perfect, you know. But that was really quickly replaced by fear and anxiety for the situation because it was serious you know we we had to have a conversation really quickly about like whether or not we were going to continue you know i we didn't know if we were sick or if they were going to shut the island down and we were going to be stranded at the studio thankfully jordan and terry allowed us to stay and every morning we would start with a covid briefing We would make some coffee and take a look at our phones and see if, see how things were, you know? And we would make a decision every morning if we were going to continue or stop. And thankfully, we were able to finish our sessions for that week. Speaking for myself, it infused a lot of tension into the sessions. And I hear it in the music because every day we were there, could have been our last day there. I knew that if we had been booked a day or so later, we would have been canceled. So it felt like we were on borrowed time. The plan originally was to return in April or May with Stephanie, Devin, and Alex, our string section, and finish the album. But I knew that I, I needed to leave that week of recordings with a finished album because it seemed very unlikely that we were going to get to come back anytime soon. So that meant I had to cut some songs that I wanted to record, and we had to treat the sessions as if they were final. We had to, we had to make decisions quickly, we had to commit to them, and we had to, we had to finish the songs, you know? So, so when I listen to these songs, I hear the music that isn't there, and I hear the songs that aren't there. 
and that's okay you know i at, at first i was disappointed but now i i really see that this context as like a central feature of these songs and i hear the urgency and i hear the tension and i'm okay with it it's really disappointing that we couldn't include half of our band in this album but there's nothing we could do about it sitting at the keyboard of this truly wonderful instrument of the 60s, the Mellotron. The sound you heard was only one of the thousands of combinations which are at your fingertips. What a thrill to have a complete rhythm section at your command with one finger. And there are 20 different rhythms to choose from. The Mellotron is essentially the first sampling instrument that was ever invented sometime in the early 1960s. It looks just like a keyboard, but essentially the way it works is when you depress a key, it triggers playback on magnetic tape, which contains recordings of various sounds. The earliest iteration had recordings of entire songs and rhythm sections on the left-hand side, and it had voicings of various instruments on the right hand side so with your left hand side you could hold down the rhythm and and supporting chords of a song and with your right hand you would improvise melody the idea behind the instrument originally was that you could put one in your bar or your restaurant and hire one musician to entertain all of your patrons instead of hiring a whole band so it was like getting music on the cheap it, it wasn't really designed for creativity, more just entertainment, like a live jukebox. So subsequent iterations of the Mellotron were designed more like an instrument. And in those cases, each key would, would be assigned a single note of a single voice, say a flute or a cello or a trombone or a choir of voices. This iteration of the Mellotron started showing up on popular recordings immediately, and honestly, it still does to this day. It's one of the most iconic instruments in popular Western music. I like to think about the musicians who recorded those original samples, you know, and what those sessions were probably like. I can imagine the producers calling them in and saying, okay, we want you to record three scales of single notes. Each note needs to be 12 seconds long and needs to be super steady. You know, I wonder what the musicians thought they were doing. Because the Mellotron at that point was relatively new and, and I don't think they could have realized just how significant these sounds were going to become for popular music. You know, they might have laid them down one year and then heard themselves on the radio on their favorite band's record a year later. You know, that's, that's wild. 
something else I like to think about and really take a lot of enjoyment from is the, the idea of shared DNA. You know, when you record music in a modern studio with computers, you spend a lot of time looking at your music. You watch a cursor write these blobs of sound files into a computer program in real time. And what you realize right away is that each of these blobs is like a fingerprint, right? Like it's captured a specific sound at a specific time in a specific way. And it's really hard to imagine that another person and another time could create the exact same sound as you. You know, like if you were to put them under a microscope, there would always be small variances. So what's cool is that I, as a musician in 2021, can get myself a Mellotron, or at least get the samples from the original Mellotron, and have some of the same DNA that's appeared in some of my favorite songs, some of the most iconic recordings of the 20th and 21st century. You know, it's ghostly and otherworldly. These musicians who did the original recordings, they, they must be extremely old, if, if not deceased. And I think thematically, writing these songs about, you know, our halcyon past and our, our non-carbonized atmosphere, it is kind of appropriate to be using these ghostly recordings from a time that is long, long past. So I, one question I did want to ask you is like, you know, what's it like for you to listen to these first six songs? It's kind of like, it's, it's like they're adopted stepchildren. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Hey, these are cool. Like, I, you know, I, I, I missed their birth and their, their like early childhood, but like I'm here with them now and that's cool. And I can see how they got to where they are before I was in the picture. It's like it's kind of a clumsy analogy, but it's the closest thing I could think of. It's not clumsy. Okay. I get it. Cool. I'll take your word for it. I get it. Like they're, they're cool kids. Like the, I don't obviously feel as much like ownership over them as like something that I spent six weeks, you know, sweating over. But there's also like some cool relief in that to see them where they are as, as far along as they are and be like, okay, like these are great. And also, not something that could have spawned out of my brain. Well, I, because you know they're they're full of Mellotron strings, mm-hmm. and I hear I love the Mellotron string thing for sure. for lots of reasons. I love the aesthetics of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the idea of the Mellotron, but but I I can't help but like think about what they would have been like if we had gotten to do the real thing. Yeah, I, I can feel that. I mean, I. They probably just would have sounded like what what it always sounds like when you get me and Steph and Devin together. It's like it's you know it's this ultimate kind of double edged sword of our string section. It's like we're so dialed in to a wavelength. It's almost detrimental at times. Hmm. You know, a, a couple less years with like Devin in the band, but like Steph and I have been playing with you for like ten, mm-hmm. Steph even longer. You know, mm-hmm. so things have. have settled into like you know that that double-edged sword of like it's really honed in and fine-tuned and you know we can kind of all 
know what the other person's going to do. But I think it's also causing us to have difficulty in, like, how do we break the mold that we've created over a decade? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, the Mellotron is, like, kind of the hero in my mind in that situation. It's so much easier to then offload it into, you know, essentially another set of brains to figure that out. Like it's the next best thing. That's interesting. Trying to capture something unique but still familiar, mm-hmm. I guess. And I, I can't help but feel a bit sad when I listen to them because we weren't able to include you three in, in them. And I hear you on them. Like, I hear what would have been, you know? That's really funny that you say that because I do not feel that way at all. Like, when I heard them, I was like, these songs are done. I can't hear where strings would be on this and anything that I might want to add... I feel like the keys are doing, you know, it's pads and, uh, you know, Mellotron or whatever. Like, if you feel sad for us, I don't think you should. Like, I think you should give yourself some grace because I I know that I don't feel that way. And I know Devin doesn't feel that way. And I, I can't speak for Alex because I haven't talked too much about it, but... He doesn't, no. And it's it's not... I mean, it's not sadness for you. It's just like... I don't get me wrong. I'm very happy with how it turned out, and I really like okay. these recordings. And I actually, I think this body of work is entirely informed by the pressures that the world was putting on us when we mm-hmm. made them, and it they feel fractured, and they feel like there's there's this kind of urgency to them that I sense. And obviously, I don't think listeners will will sense or intuitively know this, but that's what mm-hmm. I hear when I listen to them. And I think it's actually a, a quite an interesting feature of the work. Mm-hmm. So I'm not disappointed with the work. Good. But uh, I I can't help but wonder like what these what this music would have been like with you folks on them because I had. I had grand ambitions for like, you know, interludes that we were going to compose together in the studio, and just I had ideas for all of these moments, and they're they're they'll never exist now, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's okay, you know. I think the arts like that, mm-hmm. you have to make decisions and live with them, like life, mm-hmm. right? Um, but uh, I was, you know, I'm just curious to see what it's like listening to you. We, Alex said something interesting. He said that it's like, to, to him, they're kind of like adopted children that that you didn't like, that you love and appreciate, but you didn't. <laughs> but they're not yours. You, you can't take any. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's yeah. funny. I thought that's, that was a really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a sweet way to look at it. So the word oleander implanted itself into this melody rather quickly, and it arrived via this beautiful Daniel Romano song called Roya. It became clear to me right away that the word wasn't going anywhere and I was going to have to deal with that. So I, was, I wrote around the word, and what's cool is that it very quickly assumed meaning to me, very specific meaning. 
And now I can't imagine the song without it. And the word Oleander even spilled over into the final song on this album, On the Beach. You know, I don't know what Daniel's song is about, but after many, many listens, I, if I had to hazard a guess, I would say that his song is about gratitude. He seems to be thanking someone named Roya in this very cosmic and grandiose fashion. And now, as I reflect on the album that I've made, and these last two songs in particular, I... I feel like I've made a record about gratitude as well. I know that I've spent a lot of time talking about doom and gloom on this podcast, but, you know, I don't hear doom and gloom when I listen to these songs. I certainly was fixated on those ideas for a long time, and I still am. But but I suppose that fixation allowed me to arrive somewhere that is useful or positive or whatever and not just and I didn't succumb to it I guess is what I'm trying to say I'm very nostalgic in general I always have been and I often think about the link between memory and feeling Someone once said to me, they don't remember what you say, but they remember how you make them feel. My memory is like that. I don't remember a lot of what happens to me. I, don't, I lose a lot of detail, but I retain the feeling. I remember how things made me feel. I remember how people made me feel. I remember how music makes me feel, how food makes me feel. And this music... When I listen to it now, a year later, and try to talk about it, it makes me feel glad. <laughs> 